I went home and kind of wrote out all the ins and outs of my ideal contract and sent that back to them. And apparently they saw it and were like, oh shit. <laughs> Mainly because my father was disgusted with it and that made me so happy. Welcome to The Imposterous. The Imposterous is hosted by me, Graham Drew, and Michael Knox, two rather insecure frauds who will be exploring the motivating and debilitating experiences we all have with imposter syndrome, with a sneaky suspicion that it might just be your superpower, if you let it. I, I, I really do think it's important. You know, everybody should be doing something. You need a personal kind of purpose, don't you? You need to be something that really floats your boat. You know the rules of the game, you can win. I don't have it in front of me. I don't know what it says, but go on, give it a crack. You have to start, Michael. Oh, do I? Do I? Okay. Hi, Graham. How are you today? Hey, mate. How are you doing? Good, good. I'm not actually sure what we're doing here. That's a very, very good point. Um, we've got someone very interesting to talk to you today. Have we? Yes. Yeah. Going to be a good change? You know that guy um, from Dossa Keys, the most interesting man oh, yeah. in the world? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's not him. Oh. It's close. We have the amazing Rob Campbell. Hello, Rob. Good. How are you, mate? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. So as you know, this podcast is all around the weird and wonderful world of imposterism. And um, we'd love to just talk to you about it for a little minute. So not that I want to put you in any kind of box, but planning departments, right? They change a lot, but they are very much the brains of the organisation. You know, lots of big brains sitting in big glasses sitting in an intimidating data jacuzzi. When was the first time you really felt like you didn't belong there? Well, I mean, first of all, that definition of planning department scares the crap out of me. I would not want to work in any of those. But um, probably, I mean, there's been a few, but when I started, I probably didn't feel I was like good enough or understood enough or even old enough. I put myself under a lot of pressure. People were epic. They were, they were lovely. But... Yeah, I think there were real times that I was like, I'm going to get sacked. In fact, what's bizarre is I remember when I got my business cards, this is that long ago, I thought, oh, I'm going to keep my job because I thought business cards cost so much money that they would only do it if you're in. And weirdly, that's when I started going, okay, maybe I've got a chance. But yeah, the first one, but there's been a few times, but that first one was... Can you remember your first brief? I can't remember who it's for. I can remember that I was still there at like 12.30 at night and everything I wrote I thought was absolute bullshit and it probably was if I looked at it now. Yeah, I was just hugely intimidated. The brief is really important. I'm not saying it isn't important, but it's a direction rather than a, like a law and it took yeah. me a long time to learn that. The intimidation that you mentioned, was that confined to where you were or was that intimidation based on your whole expectation of what, I guess, you expected of yourself? Well, I mean, it was an amazing company with amazing people in it. I've always been really ambitious, but I've also been quite a good realist as well. <laughs> so they often fight each other a lot. So I think I added even more pressure on myself, to be honest, based on what's in my head versus what I felt capable I could express because um, how do you inspire someone else is a really difficult challenge because um, it's too easy to write briefs that you would react to but you're going I want somebody else to feel this so yeah I just think it all added up and it messed me up honestly it messed me up it really did and I still hate briefs I still look at that piece of paper and crack myself um, I just feel more confident in 
in how to get to what I really want to convey because I want it to be epic. I absolutely want everything I do to be the best thing I could do. And it doesn't always happen. Uh, often it doesn't happen, but it, that's always the intent. And so that's a lot of pressure. I like being an outsider. Was there a person that get that or said something or helped you with someone that helped you get some confidence in yourself? Was there a time or a person that did that to you? I mean, my parents were amazing, in all honesty. And while everyone would say that they were genuinely amazing, they 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 wanted me to live a life of fulfillment, not contentment. And it took me a long time to work out the difference. I wrote this thing ages ago about people you meet in your life, and sometimes they're for a long time, sometimes it's just for a second. And they have a huge impact on how you look at stuff. And I've been blessed with a load of them, you know, uh, whether that was Mark Sarif in Australia or Chris Jakes in Asia, just people that had a huge impact in showing that they backed me. That didn't mean they even had to agree with me, but they backed me. And it was a really valuable lesson for me. And I certainly felt backed by my parents. It just takes a lot of the weight off because then you can go right now. I just want it to be epic as opposed to, oh my God, I have to get it perfect. It's like be interesting, not perfect. There's many definitions of imposter syndrome, but one of them is defined as not belonging. Like you feel like you don't belong there. How do you get comfortable and feel that you can speak up when you're in a completely foreign culture? Um, There's two sides to that. It's like, I'm very comfortable with being uncomfortable. Always have, because I find I've always liked that, the energy that comes from that. But I'm surrounded by brilliant people who inform me and make me better. The thing that's interesting, and you would have this, you know, when you move to another country, especially a country where, for example, English isn't the native language, the natural thing to do is I don't know stuff, so I should shut up and and just do what everyone tells me. And I get that. But the problem is, as we also know, every culture has its own quirks and delusion. And quite often people are doing stuff that they don't want to do, but that's the cultural way, especially in certain markets in Asia. I'm genuinely interested. So I would ask questions. I just ask questions. I I am immune to feeling immature. I'm cool with being immature. So I'll ask questions. And I and I just love having to start again because you can reinvent in a lot of ways. So- I was going to ask you on that because um, one of the things that we've talked about with this feeling that we're trying to understand that, you know, imposter syndrome might actually be a real power to have to kind of get the fact that, hey, I am, you know, punching above my weight. I am doing more than what even I, I thought I could. How much of a privilege, even a white privilege, if we talk about cultures or we talk about, you know, we've had a, we're going to have a lot of guests on this show, um, females who, who talk about this and they'll say it's a double whammy. You know, I'm, I'm kind of young and I'm achieving and I'm a female. Like privilege and I mean, it, syndrome. It, it's, well, it's always a double whammy like a a very dear friend of mine, and she is top five best planners in the world, probably, um, if there's some weird index in my head. Um, And she has gone through a lot of imposter syndrome, still does. And I said to her one day, I said, maybe it's the best thing. Maybe that's what's made you who you are, because you never phone it in. I'm not saying it's easy and it's hard. And I go through imposter syndrome. You know, and especially now in my career where I've started working in different industries and in a different role, I'm like going, what can I contribute to a, a rock band success who's already epically, and then I go through all this doubt. But I said to her, maybe maybe that's what keeps you great. 
You never phone it in. You're always pushing. You've always got your own standards. There are benefits, I think, to imposter syndrome in some bizarre way. Um, as regards privilege, yeah, I do get what you're talking about, and I do understand that. Um, and it is a privilege to be in a position where you can have imposter syndrome, but I don't think it's necessarily just for people who've who are white men. I think imposter syndrome gets to everybody. It has different states and different impacts and different reasons, but it's debilitating. And too many people just go, oh, yeah, just work through it. Or everyone has it. But that doesn't solve anything um, because it feeds on that. It's tough. And I think part of it also is from a strategic perspective. While we are part of the creative process, we are part of it. We, our job is to be useful to creativity. So it's quite hard sometimes to evaluate yourself. Like I, I'm, I found myself in this really weird committee. <laughs> there was someone who was Obama's um, technology advisor. And I'm literally going, and they were all talking about what their favorite documentary or TV show was or something. Oh, they said, what did you watch or something? And I said, our oh, Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. And they were so like, <laughs> fucked up that it actually was the best thing for me because they kind of opened their arms to me. So I started going, oh, I might be the weird one, but at least I'm not on the outside, you know? So I don't know, it's hard, but yeah. everyone, it is a struggle um, and everyone feels it. My worry is when it becomes, the it robs people of the potential they've got and they, and they don't see it. That's what it's, and that's what I think good management is about, liberating rather than just dismissing. Yeah, because you said that, right? You could you, you could potentially frame yourself as quite a pain in the ass to work with. Yeah. You could potentially be setting the bar quite high. You like the idea of staying angry. Yeah. Um, you could potentially be welcoming people into your team early on in their careers. You could be intimidated by that. You could be fueling people's imposter syndrome yourself yeah. if you're not kind of open arms and, you know, ab about that. Yeah, my, my job is to make everyone in my team better than they thought they could be. So when they get their next job, it's better than they ever thought it would be. That is literally what I'm, my my commitment to them. And, and that means standards, that means challenging, but ultimately it's about protecting, defending and encouraging. And if someone's a dick, I'm going to call them a dick. It's absolutely transparent. But I want them to win. I want them to win better. That's why I have a lot, I mean, it drives people mad, but I, I have lots of, let's just catch up. And they're going, oh, for fuck's sake, he's going to ask me about my, <laughs> what I ate, my love life. Yeah, was it like anything but the actual work? Um, because I, I always say there's a self-motivation in that because if they're feeling pressure from stuff, they're not going to be as good for me as I need them to be. So I want to help create an environment where they feel safe to be dangerous. And I think that's, if not, get rid of imposter syndrome, allow it for them to be better than they thought they could be. The, the relationship between the, you know, strategists and planners and creatives can be magical, but it can also be pretty yeah. um, destructive as well. And I'm sure you've worked with some destructive, dicky people. Yeah. What's your strategy with that? How do you cope with that? Because, you know, they can make you feel, you know, creatives can make anybody feel very, very small if they want to and vice versa yeah i mean for me it's always about being useful to the creative um not the creative person necessarily the creative the creativity um but there was something tom hanks wrote a while back and i hate tom hanks and uh, having a completely irrational hatred of him but he wrote something i went oh that's fucking good and it, somebody said how do you deal with actors you don't like 
And he goes, I'm pretty accepting that they'll all have their own individual quirks and and I let them do their thing even if I don't like it. But if their quirks affect me being able to do the best I can do, then we're going to have it out. And it was such a a powerful thing because I think for a lot of planners, you don't want to overstep the mark. There's a lot mm. that you want to think planning is basically a creative um, executional job rather than an inspiration and, and, and usefulness job. Um, so there's always this nervousness, but for me, it's just like, yeah, I want to be, I want everyone to be, I want us to make fucking awesome. That is the commitment. It's like, I'll work like a absolute animal for that. Um, but if somebody is stopping me or somebody in my team being epic, then we're going to have a problem. Like uh, for me, I, I want to remove the the pressure, make it something enjoyable rather than, oh my God, we've got to nail this. And just like when you read it and start by going, what excites us about this? Like trying to get that in. So everyone feels that there's an outlet for creative expression at its best rather than, oh my God, don't nail this and we're in trouble. That's why I'm cool with failure as long as it's, we've tried to do something epic. And that's how I've been trained as well. So, you know, you just pass on what you learned often. And when you talked about um, Real Housewives, Right. I think um, it was interesting when you took that through the lens of imposter syndrome, because if you'd done what you wanted to say, then you actually would have been an imposter because you would have been trying to be yeah. somebody else. And so a lot of this feels like it's about having the courage just to be honest with yourself because of the pressure to try and be something that you're not. Well, I was fortunate. You know, my father was a, a barrister. My mum's family, she's Italian. We're all lawyers against the mafia. <laughs> it's like, you know, asking for pocket money was tough, you know? Um but it also was very much about if somebody asks you a question, answer the question. That kind of reaffirms why I just need to be honest about it all. And, you know, I've, I've had to say to clients, please don't mistake my um, humour for not taking what I do seriously. I've said that. And, and I suppose I just want to try and make people enjoy that, but push the standards of it. And whether I'm good at it is a different thing altogether. But that's always kind of the ambition for me. Make great work that inspires more because it's exciting rather than it's just contrived and prescribed. You have done great work. I mean, without doubt. And you've worked at the biggest and most lauded agencies out there. Yeah. And you've won at all the big award shows. Hmm. Um, and I think imposter syndrome and awards have a very interesting relationship. Um, you've won them. And when you won them, did it change how you felt about yourself at all and your ability? Did it help? Did it hinder? Uh, I think it changed me uh, for a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I, I probably became a real arrogant asshole for about, certainly for that evening. <laughs> um, but then it kind of added uh, pressure because I don't want to repeat. And then... You know, I, I had someone who worked for me at Wyden called um, Leon and he worked so hard for a promotion, like so hard. And he finally got it. And I sat down and said, Leon, this is the worst thing that's ever going to happen to you. And he's like, aren't you supposed to be inspiring me here? And I just went, because now this is your minimum standard. You've spent two and a half years to literally have your minimum standard being the best of two and a half years. And he's like, fuck. And I feel like that with awards sometimes. It's like oh my God, now it's got to be better. Um, so I quite, I think people can piss on awards. I get it, but it's not, they're good. They encourage people, they inspire people. Um, if you're doing it for the sake of it, 
it should always be a byproduct. But yeah, it probably changed me, but hopefully in ways that made me that gave me focus and drive rather than gave me just arrogance. And I want I want to circle back because um you touched on something which Michael and I have is, is almost kind of the mission of this podcast, which is that we have this sneaky suspicion that imposter syndrome, whilst it is hard to deal with, is actually one of the traits of people that are really, really good. You know, and it's it actually and whilst it can be hard at the time, if you can change your relationship to it, you know, it's never going to go away. But if you can change your relationship to it and think that actually when you feel it, it may be like a bit of a spidey, spidey signal signal that you're onto something. Tell me why fear is not to be feared. Can I do a really crass name drop? Yeah. I found myself in New York having coffee uh, with some of the guys in Metallica. What was really interesting, when we were there, uh, one of the guy's daughters was in a ballet outfit, getting ready to go to a ballet class. And I'm like, oh, this is, this is quite bizarre. And, and I just said, it's interesting your daughter's here. And we're talking about some kind of monster and stuff. And, and he said, which was great, you can't be authentic if you're not willing to be vulnerable. And it had such a powerful effect on me. Mm. Um, because we always, it's not like people are not being authentic, but they're not being unlimited in that. And that sense of you can't be authentic if you're not willing to be vulnerable. And authenticity, in, a, in the truest sense of it, I believe is a real weapon. It is a real powerful weapon. I feel it's almost like, um, why shouldn't you fear fear? I mean, it depends on the context again. But for me, it's like, because it can actually reveal who you are as opposed to unlock who you are. That was a really powerful moment for me. It, it really had a big impact. So, yeah, that's why I think you shouldn't fear fear. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, thanks. Thank you, Rob. That was really cool. So we have um, we have a, a saying here on the imposterous, which we want you to take with you, mm. which is... Um, you're loved, you're creative, and you belong. Yeah, oh, that's nice. I like that. It'll it's probably a be on a T-shirt, actually, one but day. I like it. <laughs> it's great. All right, thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Man. Thank you very much for listening to The Imposterous. Apart from our fine, imposterous guests, none of this would have been possible without the help of the following wonderful frauds. Firstly, Andrew Stevenson at We Love Jam Studios, best music and sound house in Australia. Without his help, this would have been a series of WhatsApp messages with emoji responses. And also Hilton Moday, who has graced us with his theme music that you're listening to now. If you would like to catch up on all the other podcasts in The Imposterous series, visit theimposterous.com. Here you can also get in touch with us via email.